0: Now that the dust is starting to settle on the 2022 midterms, what are the next two years going to look like? This is Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts, especially on video, where we're available now on YouTube. Hope you'll check that out. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm really happy to have back on the show my old friend, political science professor and a former congressional and gubernatorial staffer, William Yule. William, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, last time, well, it's great to have you back. The last time we did this, we were talking about our Newsweek article about Republicans playing the immigration card in the run up to the 2022 midterms. They played it. It 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 didn't work out for them. Maybe it worked out a little bit, but it was great to to go through that and like for the setup here. The dust is starting to settle. Not all the races are totally done, but we're beginning to have a bit of a picture of what the power structure is going to look like, both inside Washington and outside Washington. So we're going to play a little game called, what are the odds that, and we're just going to go back and forth here and look at various questions. I think we have about 10 top 10 burning questions about the next two years and we're gonna we're gonna see what the odds are according to us of various things coming to pass now look predictions are almost always sure to go wrong so we'll try to give a sense of the odds but the the ground rule here is, We have to bring our receipts. We have to at least try to justify what we're saying here in terms of what's gonna come to pass. Otherwise it's just shooting in the dark. And we're not, we're nothing if not informed analysts. We're not talking head pundits here, right? Like you're an actual professor, man.
1: Yeah, so we'll try and bring some historical evidence. Although these midterms show us that sometimes the historical evidence doesn't mean, isn't a great predictor of what will happen, right? as we right. saw in these right. elections that buck the historical trend. So we'll we'll see what evidence we can bring to bear.
0: Right. It's like that disclaimer. Every time you get a commercial for an investment advisor, it's like past performance is not a predictor of future. It's <laughs> like, well, all right, then what do I have to go on here? All right. With <laughs> that understood, I get the first question, you know, because I'm a dictator. Like we're about to be, we're going to have a dictatorship in America probably in 2024. If we don't watch our steps. All right. William Ewell. Professor Political Science, what are the odds that Kevin McCarthy will be speaker in January of 2024? And you'll know that I'm asking that in a really tricky way. I'm not saying January 2023, I'm saying January 2024. Will 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 Kevin McCarthy be the speaker of right?
1: Well, so we we know that he'll be speaker in January of 2023
0: now. Do we do we?
1: It's it's highly so I would put the odds let's let's go there first I would put the odds of 2023 January him being the speaker at something like 95%. It's not 100%, but it, it's close to 100% in that there are no real you know challengers that could get the votes that would sort of replace him as speaker and he sort of has Trump on his side. So even though <coughs> the House Freedom Caucus, which is the 30 people that we suspect voted against him on the most recent ballot of him for speaker, most likely Trump is gonna get them in line for Kevin McCarthy. So so the odds, he's the odds on favorite by a large margin to be speaker in 23, but that's not the question you're asking. The question you're asking is, what are the chances that he's Speaker in 2024, right? <clears throat> and to answer that question, we need to also sort of figure out what are the odds that, that Republicans hold on to the House in 2024. Well, we do have some sort of historical facts to go on here. Usually, presidential elections are better for Democrats all things being equal, we have higher turnout. Higher turnout usually is a positive thing for Democrats because they have constituencies like young people and minorities and other groups that historically vote in larger percentages in presidential elections than they do in midterms. So you would sort of point a slight favor to Democrats, but when we look at the historical, recent historical record, so for instance, Right? If you look at presidential election years, in 2004, when Bush was going for re-election, he gained three House seats for Republicans. Obama in 2008, his first time running, gained 23 seats, but that was when he was first coming in, right? So the better sort of comparison is Obama in 2012, where he gained eight seats in the House for Democrats, But then Donald Trump in 2016 lost six seats and Biden this time around lost 13 seats. So when you look at that, that's a pretty mixed bag. So the final piece of evidence I would go to is obviously the party that holds more seats has more districts to defend, right? And that's harder to do. The more seats you have, the more you have to defend. And so you would probably given that Republicans control more seats and that it is a presidential election year, you would probably give them slight odds right now to retake the house in 2024, obviously knowing nothing about what the economy is doing and other sort of external factors, right? Which will have a huge impact on what happens in that year. I would probably give the odds at 60, 40 right now that Democrats take back the House in 2024. So then you would have to give even slow, slightly lower odds that Kevin McCarthy would be Speaker, because even if Republicans in that 40% chance hold on to the House, there's not a hundred percent chance that McCarthy would retain the speakership. So I would probably put it as sort of one-third, maybe 33, 35% that that he would be the speaker in
0: 2024. So that's interesting because I, so you're, you're looking ahead to the next election cycle. I'm wondering about whether January, basically a year and a month from now, (coughs) Kevin McCarthy will even be the speaker. I don't even think he gets there. I think the odds are below 50, 50, that Kevin McCarthy will be the speaker a year and change from now. I'll I'll give you my, I'll give you my line of reasoning here. So first of all, as you noted. He just had a leadership vote, and there Mm -hmm. were 31 votes against him. There was kind of a straw opponent, Andy Biggs, former chairman of the House Freedom Caucus.
1: But let me just say there, that is not unprecedented, right? We've had many recent speakers, including Nancy Pelosi, who during one of her had about 30 Democrats vote against her in sort of the first round. So that's not unprecedented.
0: Absolutely. I, I mean, and they're trying to extract concessions. But- it's the specific concessions that they're trying to extract that I think create chaos conditions that he's not going to be able to keep a lid on. Now, you assumed in what you said that Donald Trump is going to try to pull for him, but Kevin McCarthy, while to to quote Forrest Gump, he's not a smart man. He's savvy enough to know that there are certain things he should not do as Speaker of the House that are sort of political poison. He is really stuck between a rock and a hard place because make no mistake, the House Freedom (laughs) Caucus wants to do all of those things. They are like a teenager who's just discovered meth And driving and all kinds of things that do not go well together, like spouting big election lies and trying to pass a national abortion ban and do generally crazy stuff. I don't think it's likely that even if Kevin McCarthy gives away the store and gives away concessions and buys votes in order to get the speakership in the first place, I don't know how he's going to be able to hold the line on all the crazy over the course of the next year. Remember, one of the things, one of the concessions that these chaos Muppets are trying to create is a motion to vacate. That means anytime they want, they can have a a motion of no confidence in their own speaker and they can kneecap him. And they don't even need that, even without the motion to vacate. It's probably only going to take, as we count the final votes and their final margin in the House, it's only going to take between three and five Republicans for, with Donald Trump as sort of the puppet master or Muppet master with his hand somewhere controlling the the voices of these these idiots, it's only going to take like three to five of them to functionally make Kevin McCarthy not able to wield the gavel and be the speaker. It, he loses his majority. He's functionally not the speaker. So I think he's got a princess bride problem here. He can't choose the glass in front of him of going for the speakership because, you know, it, it's going to, if he doesn't go for it, it crushes his dreams and probably kills his political career. And if he does go for it, it's going to probably end very, very badly. Both glasses are poisoned. I'd say the odds are 20% that he's speaker a year from now.
1: Wow. Okay. So, first of all, I, I, I defer to you on the House, right? You were a House aide, I was a Senate aide. So, so I will defer to you on House matters. But that being said, I understand where you're coming from with those odds. The flip side is, though, you have to have viable alternatives in order to turn to an alternative. And my giving him a higher percentage chance of holding on to the speakership has less to do with his skill set. Or the circumstances, which I think you you articulated quite well, and it's more who is the alternative that Republicans
0: turn to as can a I interest Republican? you? They don't what have is it going to take to put you in a Steve Scalise today? Could I possibly <laughs> interest you in an Elise Stefanik? I mean, she is she has her tongue firmly attached to Donald Trump's boots. She is the third ranking Republican in the House. She is nominally a moderate, despite her boot-licking position. She could bridge both sides. And by the way, for a caucus that desperately, desperately needs to shed, it's, well, they, they look like <laughs> you and me, man. I mean, they're like a bunch of goofy white guys. Um, you know, she's a woman. She, she speaks well. Uh, how about Elise? How about, how about, you know, there are are alternatives.
1: So you are making the assumption that any of those people want that job. And as you just mentioned, taking on that job, and then getting ousted from it in a rather quick fashion would end any of those people's political careers, right? So you also have to take that into account that do these alternatives, as you call them,
0: really want the job I'm not sure. That's a fa- that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. I mean, the final thing I'll say is, look, recent history, as you like to point to, because you are nothing if not empirically based, Professor <laughs> Ewell. Recent history suggests that this is an untenable position, that no one can do this job. Where is John Boehner now? I will give you the answer. He is somewhere in a cigar lounge smoking his head off. And sipping cognac. I know we're recording this in the morning. That's part of the, that's a feature, not a bug in my last statement. You know, where is Paul Ryan now, right? He went from VP candidate to Speaker of the House to I'm out of politics, y'all. I'm going to grow a beard. I don't want to talk to any of you people ever again. So they may not have an alternative, but I'm not sure they can control themselves. I'm not sure that this is a governable group. I, it's the situation is bad. It's really bad. All right, let's move on. Uh, over to you.
1: All right. So my question for you is, will the government shut down in 2023? 75% chance. 75% chance. 75% chance? 75. So, you know, so there, there. That's a really high percentage, by the way. If you told me there was a 75% chance of me doing anything, I would think it was going to happen.
0: I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I'll give you. I'll give you my reasoning. So the government shuts down more often than people realize. For one thing, now it doesn't always involve government furloughs. Um, but and, and look, it would be the gambler's fallacy to say we're overdue here. But the conditions are right. Don't forget, which I'm sure most people have, because honestly, I had to look this up to remind myself, and I, I, I've been doing it right now while we're talking. We had two shutdowns during Donald Trump's turn. We had two shutdowns, one on January twentieth, twenty eighteen, and another uh, on December twenty second, twenty eighteen, and you know both didn't last like forever. The conditions are still in place. Where remember what we were just saying a second ago? We have these Freedom Caucus, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Green types. You know these this this collection, this vessel of fools who are going to be getting their marching orders from Donald Trump. And there's going to be all kinds of stuff that they're going to absolutely insist on doing. The place that you make policy these days is in appropriations bills. Now, the way it works in Congress is you can pass bills like we think of, you know, that that are policy, like laws, but there's also bills that you've got to pass every single year to fund everything the government does. Because it's become so hard to pass bills that make policy, most policy, if it's going to be made by Congress, is made as part of those appropriations bills, because those are the trains that are leaving the station. For the last 10 years, Congress has passed Virtually no appropriations bills. There are supposed to be 12 of them every year that fund different areas of the government. Congress can't pass them anymore. Why? Because it's in everyone's best interest to vote against them, except for Democrats in safe seats, because all the Republicans don't want to vote for billions and billions of dollars of funding and every kind of bill, even if you're from like rural Iowa. You know, like the agriculture appropriations bill is full of all kinds of political gunk that you don't want to vote for. You're better off politically voting against it. And that's why year after year, what happens is Congress either passes what's called an omnibus where they cram all 12 of those bills into one, or they do something even worse. They pass a continuing resolution, meaning they just say, look, whatever we did last time, let's do that and maybe add like 100 billion more over here. And so that's the situation they're going to be in. And all 221 Republicans or so, whatever the final number is, are going to be incentivized to vote against absolutely everything. I don't see the political will existing to continue to fund the government. It, there's, it, It's not going to exist until the Republicans get absolutely slammed in the public and feel the political repercussions of having another shutdown. They're going to have to have it demonstrate for them 75%. So
1: I... I, I... Like your logic here, one thing that you didn't mention I think is really important to understand between you and me, right, between the House and the Senate, is that the reason we can't pass bills is because they are subject to filibusters, meaning basically you need 60 senators, so you need bipartisanship to pass those bills, where on appropriations you don't. You just need really fit, if you're the Democrats, you just need 50 votes and Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker. Right. So that's why appropriations, a lot of things are happening in that way, because that's a much easier sort of bar to jump. You're saying over through the
0: reconciliation
1: process. Through, through the reconciliation process. Yeah. But, but the question really is, so I agree with you on all of that. But the calculation that Republicans have to make is, I agree with you. They are not Republican. The Republican Party is no longer. I, I worked for the, the Republican Party in the Senate they are no longer a governing party, right? They, they do not have the ability to sort of govern. They're basically a campaigning party at this point. The calculation they have to make, though, is does shutting down the government help or hurt them as they move towards 2024? And I don't disagree with you that they have no problem burning down the House, right? They have no problem shutting down the government if they make the calculation that it's in their best interests. I think 75 is a little high. I'd put it more at like 60, because I think for the most part, as they control the House, they're, they're not going to want to shut it down. They're not going to want to burn it down, because they're going to make the political calculation that it's going to hurt their chances in 2024.
0: The problem is you're assuming that Republican leaders who are somewhat rational actors, even if Kevin McCarthy kind of has to draw out his plans in crayon that they have some kind of control over the House caucus. They do not. They cannot control the chaos muppets in the House caucus. And I'll just give you one example. One of the only policy priorities that Republicans agree on is defunding the IRS right? Mm-hmm. Democrats passed yeah. a bill to expand the ability of the IRS to fund new computer systems and to do more audits of wealthy Americans, wealthy Americans. And Republicans are in hoc to wealthy Americans. And therefore, they will not allow that to go forward. How can they allow an appropriations bill to go forward that funds the IRS? They cannot, they will not agree to it. Um, and so I, 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 just, I just don't see a scenario where that moves forward. William, I've got well, a new one for you. Sure. Professor William Ewell, I'm saying that kind of like Dr. Richard Kimball. Professor William Ewell, is Donald Trump going to be the Republican nominee for president?
1: Boy, that's a tough one, right? Oh, I'm so, sorry,
0: what are the odds? I should I should do the game okay, here. The game is what are the odds? Gonna,
1: are the I'll odds. get to the odds last, right? So let's look at betting markets for a second, right? Because they're actually usually a pretty good predictor
0: of these. Things. They screwed up <laughs> the midterms, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, betting markets give a slight advantage, actually, to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as the most likely... Not only the most likely Republican nominee, but the most likely person to be president in 2024, which is which is saying something, right, since he's not even the nominee yet. They give the second highest odds to Trump, slightly behind DeSantis, and they give the third highest odds to President Biden. Any guesses on who the fourth highest odds are in betting markets to be president? Oh, that's a good one. Gretchen Whitmer. No, well, well that is a good guess. Ga- California Governor Gavin Newsom. They put S4
0: probably well, because Can, can I ask you a question? Are they baking into are that? Are they baking in are, the um, idea yeah that 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 Biden's not going to run? No. Is that right. is that kind of part of the calculus? Right, the calculus is hey, he's 80, right? There's there's obvious health
1: issues, right? And two years is a long time frame that if For whatever reason his health is not up to him running again the most likely democrat to come out of the field if biden's not in the race is gavin newsom which i actually would agree with that calculation but back to the question you're asking which is will trump be the republican nominee so on the one hand you have the republican establishment the donor class the media they're all lining up behind DeSantis and you can understand why, right? We just saw from the midterms that the chances that DeSantis could win a general election and help congressional candidates win their races in more moderate districts uh, is much higher than Trump's chances of winning either the presidential contest or helping sort of Republicans gain back the Senate and hold the House. So that whole class wants to see DeSantis be the nominee. But that class also didn't want Donald Trump in 2016. It's hard to remember, but if we go back to then, he did not have the money class, he did not have the media behind him. What he did have and what he still has is a huge section of the Republican primary elect. And so therefore I would still give him, make him the odds on favorite to be the nominee, but it's it's not a given. So I'm gonna put it at 60, 40, 60% chance that by, that that Trump holds on to the nomination, 40% that something goes wrong for him and DeSantis is able to overtake him.
0: What are your thoughts on that? I I think you're close. I think you're close. Maybe I'm a bit more 50-50, but I basically line up with you. I mean, Club for Growth, a major Republican organization, did a poll in four battleground-ish states right after the midterms, and they found DeSantis ahead of Trump in all of those states, up by 11 points in Iowa, up 52-37 in New Hampshire, 56-30 in Florida, that's no surprise, and a 20-point lead in Georgia. I think a little bit of that is is just sort of like a recency, what's in the news type effect. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not super swayed by that kind of polling in the moment. I'm much more swayed by your fundamentals-based forecast to sound like Nate Silver for a second, where it's just like, look, didn't we see this movie before? First of all, all those head-to-head matchups assume that it's a head-to-head matchup. It's probably not going to be. What about? Out the Republican Party makes us think that DeSantis and Trump are going to clear the field, except for the two of them. There are going to be other people who are going to get in. They're going to split the anti-Trump vote. There are going to be multiple swim lanes that Republican candidates are going to try to occupy. Right There's going to be the Trump lane, which is going to be occupied by Donald Trump. There's going to be the Trump light lane, which Ron DeSantis is currently the leader in that lane, but Other people could contest with him to kind of brand themselves as the it's everything you like about Trump without all of the baggage, like 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 a Trump in DeSantis clothing. And then there's going to be another lane like for the Chris Sununu's of the world who are trying to basically be anti-Trump without being downright against him. Think like, you know, yeah, like 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 Chris Sununu. But it's kind of a I'm not always with him, but I'm not going to diss him either. And then you've got Liz Cheney. In occupying the, I am against Trump, let's save the party, let's save America. And she's, you know, good luck to her. I don't see I don't see that consolidating. And the final thing I'll say is what you said, the Republican base voters, the last time they did this, they're like, oh, Ted Cruz, you called Donald Trump a maniac who's unfit to hold office. Oh, it's so cute. Yeah, cool story, guys. We're going to vote for Trump. So I, I'm with you. I think the odds are in his favor.
1: Yeah, and the only other thing, I I completely agree with your assessment there. The only thing I think we haven't discussed is the calculation that DeSantis makes, right? If he thinks there's going to be a crowded field and he knows that the the, the anti-Trump vote is going to be split, does he even want to get into the field? Because it could end his political career. He could make the calculation that, wait a second, even if I win the nomination, does Trump get in the way of me actually being able to win the general election because he burns down the House, he takes his football home with him and decides he's not playing anymore, right? His, <coughs> Trump's interests are not with the Republican Party. Trump's interests are with Trump. Right? Absolutely. So always that calculation as well. So does DeSantis make the political calculation that it's better off just to wait until 2024, I mean, 2028, when he's got the field to himself?
0: Well, look, a lot of these people are also going to get in it just because they want to audition to be the VP, right? I'm looking at you, Christy Noem. I'm looking at you, Carrie Lake. What about you, Nikki Haley? Like, are, are they going to win the nomination? Probably not. Do they want to audition? Probably yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and let's not forget Mike Pence, who named his book so help me god my reaction was god help me you know that guy is looming out there and you know he was awkwardly interviewed about hey what do you think about this video of this noose that the republican based constructed in this gallows where they wanted to hang you because you wouldn't destroy america and he's like oh that's really tough to look at yeah you know it was tough to look at for the rest of us the insa freaking rection all right let's let's move, on. Am, am oh, I up?
1: let's move on okay question for you matt okay you're up. The next Congress passes any legislation, what are the odds that the next Congress passes any legislation beyond funding bills and naming post office, which we sort of hit on a little bit earlier, but let's finish that conversation.
0: All right. So first of all, funding bills, I think if a funding bill eventually gets passed, it's not going to be, this is for nerds, just, just a moment for nerds, it's not going to be an appropriations bill, it's yeah, going to be it's going to be a continuing resolution it's going but to be that's been true
1: for the last 20 years pretty much right. with a, with except well, for defense spending bills
0: and we'll probably get there or the government will be entirely shut down for the better part of a year one of those two things will happen naming post offices most of the time you can agree on that when you see the record of a member of Congress and how much they voted with their party against their party, you have to just de those statistics a little bit to make sure that they're not accounting for all the post offices. How many freaking post offices are there in America? I don't know, but we rename them like every four or five minutes because it's the only thing that Congress can seem to agree on is, oh, let's let's name a post office after William Ewell. He seems okay. So that may happen. No, I, I don't think, I think the chances are basically zero. I don't see a lot of possibility. And, and in part, it's because we're already hearing Republicans squawking about why they lost so handily in the blue crush of the 2022 midterms. Now, there's an obvious reason here. It it rhymes with Ronald Trump. Voters rejected the whole Trump, big lie, election denial, insanity show. And they also weren't real thrilled with Republican, conservative, massive overreach on abortion. And that seemed to nullify the other issues going on. And so Republicans, they kind of know that, but they don't want to say it out loud. And they're sort of kidding themselves and saying like, well, maybe the reason we lost was because we allowed Joe Biden and the Democrats to have so many substantive accomplishments. Now, look, no one is a bigger fan. I wrote a whole article about this about the historic level of accomplishments. You can look it up on Alternet. You can look it up on Raw Story. We talked about it on this show. My friend Cliff Schechter did a whole video on the takedown on YouTube about this. The the, the achievements of the Biden administration and the Democratic-led Congress in the last two years are truly historic and massive, but that's not the reason. Regardless, Republicans to some degree believe that passing legislation with Democrats was part of their undoing. They're not going to have any interest in doing that. And they're going to be unable to pass the crazy stuff that their right flank wants to pass. So I unfortunately think the chances are zero or close enough to not make much of a difference.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment. I, I think it's highly unlikely they're able to pass anything. Um, I might put it a little bit higher than zero, but but it's pro- I wouldn't put it above 10%. Yeah, I think we're in agreement
0: on that one. All right, that's uh, that's spicy here. I uh, let me give you this one. I I have something I want to do on it. I I I was going to lob this at you. I I have some thoughts about it too, but I, let, let me hear from you first. What are the odds that President Biden will catch up to Trump on appointing federal judges by the end of 2024? Great question. Okay.
1: So again, let's look at the historical record here, right? Obama so Obama and Bush both appointed. Bush was 340 during his tenure. Obama was 334. Okay. But remember, they both had two terms, right? Trump was 245. So he was on pace for 500 total judges if he had served a second term consecutively. So massive win over the number of of judges that either Bush or Obama had. So that's a historic pace, that many judges. The question is Will he now? President Biden is actually also ahead of where Trump was at this point in time in terms of appointing judges. That being said, so there's two, again, two counterfactuals here. One is that. Republicans are just much more incentivized to want to appoint judges than Democrats. They've just, they've built up an entire infrastructure with the Federalist Society and all sorts of other groups that their main thing is appointing judges to sort of support their causes, obviously first among them abortion, getting rid of abortion rights. That being said, the the counterfactual to that is that Roe v. Wade was recently overturned, which has risen the issue of judges on Democrats sort of list of priorities. I think it's still unlikely that Biden catches up to Trump in in his first term, just given the pace at which Republicans appointed those judges. There is one factor that is going to be critical here that we don't know the answer to yet. And that is the difference between 50 and 51 senators doesn't Mm. matter in a lot of areas. It does matter with judges. Not that Democrats can't appoint their judges with 50 seats, but it takes a much longer time. Actually, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was just recently on the news talking about this, saying if they have 51 seats, meaning if Raphael Warnock wins in Georgia in the runoff in the first week of December and Democrats get 51 seats, the the caucus is not split. Democrats will have full control And that makes it, it speeds up the process and makes it much more efficient for Democrats to be able to install judges. So I would say if Warnock wins in Georgia, which is by no means a given, it will increase the odds that Biden will take over Trump. But I would still put the odds at less than 50%.
0: There's nothing more important for this Senate than for Democrats to fix the judges' problem. In America. As of late this year, there are 790 active federal judges serving in the 91 district courts, which are federal level courts, and the 13 appeals courts. Now, the appeals courts are really where the action is. That's the level that's just below the Supreme Court. Biden has appointed only 9% of all of those judges. Other recent presidents, as you alluded to in the numbers there, have appointed much larger shares. Trump appointed 28% of active federal judges. And this is the biggest part of the fact that Democrats held on to the Senate because they get to keep tipping the scales of justice back to sanity. If you look at those 13 appeals courts, They have a huge amount of power because the Supreme Court only takes up a tiny fraction of all the federal cases that they could consider. The appeals courts get the final word on 85% of the cases that reach that level. Donald Trump shifted the balance of Republican appointed judges holding 40% of the seats at that appeals level to an outright majority of 54%. And of those 13 courts, he also flipped three of them to having Republican appointed majorities. That means that out of those 13 appeals courts, seven of them now have a majority of control in Republican hands. So Joe Biden needs to appoint 148 more judges as of last count in order to reach Donald Trump's level and start to turn that balance back towards some kind of balance there are 87 current vacancies among the federal judiciary. There's a chance to get there. But it's going to take Democrats being laser focused on this. Here's the good news. Because there's going to be so much gridlock in Congress, because it's going to be so hard to pass any other kind of legislation, there is a real opportunity for Senate Democrats to make this their number one focus. And if Raphael Warnock does tip the balance to 51 to 49, that means they will have the outright majority on committees. They'll be able to do this much, much faster, like the Republicans were able to do at the end of last term. So the opportunity is there. In order to make it real, Democrats have to win that Georgia race, and they have to stay laser focused on this. There's literally nothing more important that they can do.
1: Yeah, I agree with your assessment. So what percentage, what what are the likelihood? What Where, where would you put the percentage?
0: I think that given the hill that he has to climb 148 more judges only 87 current openings and the uncertainty about Georgia I'd say the 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 chances of reaching the same number of appointments as Donald Trump had only about 25%.
1: Yeah, I might put it a slightly higher than that but yeah, I agree with you it's it's far less than 50% the chances. All right, your turn. All oh, right. Okay. So what are the chances that Republicans will learn their lesson and run more moderate candidates in swing districts?
0: I think the chances are pretty good that they will try. I think the chances that they will succeed remain the same as they've ever been. Again, Republican-based voters have this way of saying, Oh, Republican leaders, you want to tell us what to do. That's so cute. Good for you. And then going and doing whatever the heck they want. It really hinges. There's no doubt based on the numbers that Trumpy big lie believe in election denying crazy spouting Republicans did worse than their slightly more moderate counterparts in the 2022 midterms. That's I wrote already- an article. Yeah. Now I wrote an article a few weeks ago in alternate and Raw Story arguing that Democrats were right to meddle in Republican primaries and try and put their thumb on the scale for the crazier, more conservative candidates. There was a lot of moaning in the punditocracy about this. And my argument was, first of all, you should do it because it's probably going to work. And lo and behold, it did. Across the board, it pretty much worked and it worked bigly. My other argument was, is there really a huge difference anymore between the future voting preferences of a super duper crazy person and a slightly less crazy person in the Republican party? I say this with no disrespect to my existing moderate Republican friends. I like you. I respect you. I work with you. I I host shows with you but you are in a distinct, distinct minority. And for the most part, you are not on the ballot in Republican primaries. And if you are, you're probably going to lose. So I I think there's going to be an attempt to not put forward that many candidates, but I'm not sure that this is something that's within Republican leaders' control.
1: I I completely agree with that last statement. The early results suggest that there was about an 8% difference between your standard Republican candidates and sort of far right wing, election denying candidates. That doesn't sound like a huge margin, but in very close election swing districts, eight points is enormous difference, right? So, So Republicans know this. The Republican leadership, the Republican sort of elites certainly would like to, I agree with you, would like to run more reasonable moderate candidates that are are stronger candidates than say your Herschel Walkers of the world, but they don't get to decide that, right? The primary voters get to decide that. Donald Trump has a huge influence over that primary electorate still. And he showed in this election cycle when he supports candidates for those primary elections, which is a very different electorate than your general election, he has shown the ability to be able to get his candidates into those seats. I don't see why that would
0: change much in the coming election cycle. Uh, we agree. We agree. I I think this is going to be – it's. I, this is the kind of thing that if Vegas were putting lines on it, they would just say no bet because it's, it's too fundamentally unknowable. But I, I just – I think it's going to be kind of – I'm, I'm looking forward to the schadenfreude of watching Republican leaders desperately try to stem the Trump tide. I, I don't want to live with the consequences, but you know if if they want to start punching each other over this, then I'm all for it. All right, let me lob one at you. William Ewell, professor of political science, what are the odds that Joe Biden's going to be impeached?
1: It all depends on the Republican House members and districts that Biden won in 2020. Okay, so as you mentioned, right, the most likely outcome here is going to be 214 seats controlled when, when the dust settles and all the votes are counted, probably sometime late in 2023. So it's probably going to be 214 seats for Democrats, 221 seats for Republicans, right, which means you can only have, say, four seats. Flip on a vote and you lose the vote as Republicans. Unfortunately, Republicans have nine members of their caucus who won their seats in districts that Biden won in 2020. And so the question is, what is going to be the incentive structure of those nine people? Will they be most focused on their reelection chances and therefore vote with the Democrats not to impeach Biden so that they can keep their reelection hopes up, or will they make the political termination that supporting the party and sort of dragging Biden down with impeachment trials is their best play And that by
0: helping the party label, they wait, will- let me, be- let me pause you for one second. Let me pause you for one second. We have to take a break. Can you hang on for, for a few minutes? Yeah do one more all right let's take a break we'll be right back in just a minute